place to grab a seat. As we continue in our series in John's Gospel today, um, we get to the, the crux of it. We get to the, the crucifixion. And it's possible that it was five or six decades after the actual crucifixion of Jesus that John wrote this gospel account. So you could imagine, or or please imagine, you've witnessed something firsthand that was groundbreakingly, earth-shakingly, world-changing and you've thought about it and you've probably talked about it and you've pondered it and eventually you get to the part where you you write an account of it and what we need to understand is John is very deliberate in what he writes and he's very deliberate in what details he does not give because if you've read this story in either Matthew Mark or Luke what we call the Synoptic Gospels, who who are very similar in how they tell it, John's is different. And I think we need to ask why. Why is John saying what he's saying? And why is he not including the things that maybe the others did? And we've got to just keep that framework, I think, happening. Why is he writing this? What's he want us to understand from this? So, can you please get in front of you on your phone or on your open Bible, John chapter 19. There won't be very much at all on the screen today. I'd love you to have it in front of you. John chapter 19, we're going to start at verse 16. And today we're going to go through to verse 27. All right, I'm reading from the NIV. This is where we're up to. John 19 verse 16. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them... To be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha, or in Latin it's called Calvary. There they crucified him, and with and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. Jump with me down to verse 23. Verse 23. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. This is what the soldiers did. So John is pointing us here to some prophecies about the Messiah. Prophecies that exist in what we call the Old Testament. Prophecies that existed in the scriptures for the Jewish nation. Prophecies that a lot of them would have been aware of, if not all of them. So John's pointing us to this. Now, we have pretty limited context, I think, of a lot of these things, 
that many of the Jewish people witnessing this, many of the Jewish people who were reading this, would have had a really good understanding of the, the things that John is pointing to by saying some of these things. So being crucified with others, having others on either side of him, this was a prophecy from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53. 700 years before Jesus was even around. Having the soldiers divide up his clothing, this is a reference from Psalm 22, a psalm written about a thousand years before Jesus was around. And then I started thinking, well, what other prophecies is being fulfilled in John's account? Not just in the passage we're reading today, but in the stuff we have been reading. These are some of them. And I won't give you the scripture reference because you can look that up for yourself. So, it was prophesied in the Old Testament that the Messiah would be despised by men, that people and rulers would conspire against the Messiah, that the Messiah would suffer much, that the Messiah would be betrayed by a friend, that the Messiah would be sold for 30 pieces of silver, and those 30 pieces would buy the potter's field. Very specific. The Messiah would be forsaken, the Messiah would be silent before his accusers, the Messiah would be beaten, he would be spit upon, he would be hit in the face, he would be crucified, the Messiah would be offered sour wine for his thirst, the Messiah's garments would be divided up and then lots were cast for some of his clothing, that the Messiah would be reviled and mocked, he would die in the company of criminals and that none of his bones would be broken. All these things written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before the event, all coming to fruition and to truth in the person of Jesus in this act. John wants us to know that Jesus is the Messiah. But they're not the only prophecies that we know the Bible has that seem to come true in the person of Jesus. In uh, Luke's Gospel, actually I won't go there yet, we'll come back to that. Um, Let's go to verse 25 of today's passage, verse 25. So near the cross, it says, verse 25, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother and his mother's sister. Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. I love at this point that Jesus crucified there's a compassion and a concern for the people that he loves. And it's his mother, Mary. And if we've read the scriptures, we know that Mary's story, it's a phenomenal story. A young girl visited by an angel to say that she would bear the Son of God. Engaged at that time, gives birth to Jesus in the most humble of circumstances. These people come and visit her out of the blue, saying, we've come to visit the king. And there's a passage, I think it's in Luke's Gospel, and it says, Mary treasured all these things in her heart. 
Imagine watching Jesus grow up and then imagine watching Jesus go through his ministry and then imagine watching Jesus be crucified if you were Mary. Even at this point, there's a compassion and a concern for his earthly mother and he passes the care of his mother, which was absolutely spot on with tradition and how things worked in that culture, to, we're assuming, John, the disciple, the gospel writer. What an honour for John. What a caring thing to do for Mary. And I I thought about that because we know Jesus had other brothers and sisters. Mary had other children. I I thought, well, why, why aren't they looking after Mary? It doesn't give us that answer. I could imagine some scenarios why it might be true, but I won't pretend to speak beyond what I should. So there we go. Now, Mary, in this scene, watching Jesus be crucified, it must have crushed her. So when we get to Luke's Gospel, right in the beginning of Luke, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 25, I just want to read this little part for you. So Jesus has just been born, all right? And there's a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was a righteous and devout man. This is Luke chapter 2 from verse 25. He was waiting for the consolation of all Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he saw the Messiah. Verse 34. Then Simeon blessed them, that's Jesus, Joseph and Mary, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword, speaking to Mary, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. I'm imagining this is when that sword is piercing Mary's soul as she is seeing her son Jesus hanging on a cross. I love how we need to have all the scripture together to actually make sense of the story. And you may not, may not know that the whole canon of scripture, what we call the Bible today is you know, 66 books written by about 40 different authors over about 1500 years in, in time, but it tells the one story. It's the one story, it's God's story. It's God's story with humanity, it's God's story about humanity, revealing who He is, revealing where we are going and why we're here. Now, a few years ago, I had the privilege of travelling to Israel. I know a few people in here have done that as well. And standing in many of the places where the Bible actually takes place. And I tell you what, it turned the Bible from black and white words on a page to this multicolour like to be standing in some of the places where these events happen, absolutely amazing. And one of the things that stood out to me as I was in Israel was how many people still travel to that part of the world and and look at all the things that that our group would have been looking at from all over the globe. So when you're travelling around in Israel, even today, there are signs, you know, obviously signs that help navigate where you need to go and all the signs are written in three different languages. There's a slide here. All the signs are written in three different languages. They're written in Hebrew, 
in Arabic and in, and, and in English. It's very helpful when you're there. You know, Hebrew, because that's the language of Israel. Arabic, because that's the language of Palestinians and many of the neighboring countries. And English, because it's a bit of a worldwide language. And so all these people who travel to that place generally can still be guided around. Let's keep that in mind as we come back to our passage and we're reading from verse 19. Chapter 19, verse 19. So Pilate had, had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and the sign was written in Aramaic, in Latin and in Greek. There's an example here of how that sign may have looked. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but, this, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. If you were with us last week, you, you would have heard about the, the trial that happened and Pilate seemed to be at odds ends. He was trying to please everybody. He was trying to maintain power. He sort of lost out in the end. And it feels like here's Pilate's attempt to finally get one over these Jewish leaders. It seems like this action for him to write that Jesus was the king of the Jews was done in spite because he knew the religious leaders would not like it. But what he was doing, he was declaring to the world who Jesus truly is. He's the king. He's not just the king of the Jews, he's the king of everything. And I reckon this is the crux of John's gospel. This is where we've been heading towards. Jesus, enthroned in a way that you wouldn't imagine because he was crowned with a crown of thorns, he was put on, had a kingly robe put on him just so they could make fun of him. But he was enthroned as the king. Jesus is the king. Jesus is the Messiah. The word Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is the Latin word for Messiah. So Jesus Christ or Jesus the Christ is Jesus the Messiah. And John wants us to know that. Remember why John wrote this? If we skip forward to the next chapter, which we'll get to in a few weeks' time, in John 20, he tells us, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. I want to come back to Luke's account. So let's keep this idea of Jesus being the Messiah, the King, all right? So in Luke's account of what's happening here, this is Luke 23, starting in verse 32, we read this. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. And when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. 
They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was a notice written above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. The image of kingdom, the image of king, the image of the Messiah being the king is right through this story. And I think it's easy for us to miss at times because we don't live in the context of understanding what a king or how a kingdom operates and what a king is like. For us, that's that ancient history stuff. That's that medieval stuff that you might have studied at school. We don't live in that context. So for some of us, I think it's hard to really understand why is it important that Jesus is the king? Why is it important that Jesus is the Messiah? And who is this king? Well, he's a king like no other. Jesus is demonstrating to the whole world what kind of a king he really is. Jesus as God in the flesh is not like the kings of this earth. He is love personified. He is willing to pour himself out for our sakes. He is willing to offer himself completely for us. There aren't many kings in history who operate like that. He is self-giving in such a way that his whole intention and focus is on our well-being and our flourishing and what is best for us and his creation. He is giving, he is generous, he is compassionate, he is for us. He does not want to lord it over us, he wants us to be with him and to rule with him and to share what he has, which is everything. This is the king that we see on the cross. And to do this, to, to become this king, he entered into the mess of human life. He meets us where we are. He's not distant. To experience the absolute fullness of the worst of humanity, the evil and the wickedness and the corruption and the rejection and the humiliation and he takes it all upon himself on the cross in front of the whole world and he defeats it. He defeats it not by fighting against it, by letting it flood him and then he defeats it. His resurrection, which we'll get to, again, not a spoiler, but the resurrection, he defeats all of the power of sin and death. 
He's a redeemer. But he's not only redeeming us who are alive now, who are hearing about it 2,000 years down the track. He does, through his life and through his teachings and through his healings and through his ministry, and he completely fulfills the story of Israel. That's why the Old Testament is important, because it's God's story. We need to understand it. We have a mandate placed on Adam and the first lot of humanity to be a certain kind of person in God's world, to be a ruler in God's world and to, and to take domain over God's world. And Adam couldn't do it. And then God calls Abraham and his descendants, and that's what we know as the nation of Israel, they couldn't do it. And so God in the person of Jesus, in the person of his son, comes in and he does what no one else could do. This is why Jesus being the Messiah is so important in the story. It's Jesus immersing himself in the whole narrative of life with God from creation through to the cross and ongoing because of the Holy Spirit. So this is our king. This is the king of the Jews this is the king of the Gentiles. This is the king of the world. This is the king of kings. This is where John has been leading us the whole time. That we would understand that Jesus is the Messiah, the king. This is the good news. This is the gospel. That Jesus is the king. Many of us have been taught that the gospel is Jesus died for your sins. That's true, but it's not the whole truth. That would be saying like the Lord of the Rings is about this little place called Hobbiton in the Shire. It's true, it's part of the story, but it's not the whole story. This is the good news, that Jesus is King. And him being king means there is a kingdom. And where there's a kingdom, the king reigns. And when the king reigns, he is the one who, who sets up the system of how life works. And Jesus has done that. He's inaugurated that. It has not yet come to its completion and its fulfillment. It will. That's what the book of Revelation clearly unpacks for us. But at the moment, Jesus is king and we are invited to live into the reality of his kingdom. That's available to us right now. That's not a in the future thing. Jesus is king. We're invited into this. He wants us to participate in this new kingdom that he's made available in the world today. This is the Christian life to be living in the kingdom, under the rule and reign of the king, doing the work of the kingdom just like the king would want done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the Christian life. This is what Jesus desires for us. This is the good news. And this is what John has led us to when we see Jesus hanging on a wooden cross. It's probably no surprise that with all these things to do with Jesus and the kingdom of God, it's 
It's just this upside-down version of how our world works. We look at a picture of a man beaten and bloodied and hanging on a cross and think he's defeated, but no. It's the picture of the king overcoming all things and ruling and reigning in his kingdom. What I would love us to do together this morning is, is take communion together. Because Jesus clearly tells us that when we come together, when we meet, when we sit around and have a meal, we need to remember the things that he has done. And what he has done through his crucifixion and through his subsequent resurrection is that he has not only set this kingdom up for us to step into, but he has given us the very capacity to live into that kingdom by giving his own spirit. We want to remember that together. We want to celebrate that together. So can I ask you, we have our tables around the edge of the room with our COVID-friendly safe option on that table over there. Um, can I ask you to go and collect the elements, the, the bit of bread, the bit of juice, come back to your seat and then I just want to read a passage of scripture and lead us into having that meal together. Let's do that together, thanks. Thanks.